Welcome to No News. I'm your host, Joel Seymour, and this is where the good news is. On today's episode, we are going to be looking at interpersonal importance, whether that be in medical care, company, or the protection of a nation. Our first article today is a local one by Pittsburgh Action News 4. Pittsburgh doctor will see patients for just $35, with or without insurance. Dr. Timothy Wong refuses to take your insurance and instead just charges you $35 for a primary care visit. There is no membership or hidden costs. Wong says by eliminating the overhead of insurance paperwork and staff at iHealth Clinic in East Liberty, he can afford to charge less. Wong said the low cost is important for people who don't have insurance. He wanted to make it affordable for those to see a doctor. Wong said 8.5% of people in Pittsburgh don't have insurance coverage, which works out to about 25,000 people. Quote, I worked in the traditional setting for almost five years after residency, and I kind of lost faith in the system, he said. We had so much inefficiency. We were letting down patients, and it was actually worse than I even realized because I never even saw, really, how many people didn't have insurance. Wong did his residency at UPMC Shadyside. He opened iHealth seven months ago and is working six days per week to make it work. He estimates that if he sees 20 patients per day, he can earn about 65% of an average doctor's salary and describes this as much more rewarding. Some patients do have insurance when they visit iHealth because they say it's easier to get a walk-in appointment and can still pay less than when they use insurance. Wong said that if additional testing such as blood work has to be sent off-site, there could be an additional fee. But that doesn't take away from the amazing opportunities that this man is bringing. So I, I think this is this feels like such a classic no news stories. This feels like one that I would have covered when I first started the show because it gets to the heart of the main theme that comes up time and time again. And that's the idea of if you see a need and you have the means, you have the opportunity to be the one to go out and to fulfill those needs. And in fact, you are the one who ought to doesn't matter whether or not it is obligated to you or whether or not it's comfortable for you, just as long as it needs to be done and just as long as you can do it. For Wong, it would have been much easier personally to stay with a traditional hospital, to stay with a traditional clinic, instead of trying to start his own one and come up with this very difficult idea, this idea to have a doctor's office as low as $35 for anyone with or without insurance seems so counterintuitive to how we think, but it is excruciatingly important. Healthcare 
is a national issue, and there's no doubt about it. And more likely than not, it's going to continue to be a national issue for much longer. However, that isn't to say that nothing can be done and nothing can be affected now. Instead, its solution is right here. It starts with interpersonality. It starts with one doctor seeing a need and coming up with a creative solution to fulfill that need. Personally, I hope that we see more doctor's offices and more doctors create these types of offices. I hope that this continues to be encouraged and this continues to prove itself. Gosh, if this starts to become a trend of doctors opening up clinics that completely bypass insurance and instead focus only on giving a affordable cheap rate to those who need it, that is going to give the social push for actual change nationally. But if our culture does not believe that this is possible, then we're never going to see it happen. So continue to do this, Dr. Wong, and whatever social plague you see that you want to see changed, ask yourself whether or not you can make a difference in that department for the people around you. Because that is ultimately what makes a national change worth it. This next article comes from Stuff.co. Puerto Rican couple adopt a granny while stuck in Kaikoura during lockdown. A Puerto Rican couple who adopted a Kaikoura grandma during lockdown have sparked a movement to help more of the town's elderly residents. Efrain Vega de Verona and Ingrid Marie Rivera who normally reside in Los Angeles, had the immense pleasure of getting stuck in Kairokora as the global coronavirus pandemic hit, and decided to volunteer in the community. They offered their services to Joe York at the Kairokora District Council, and were asked to help deliver groceries to the elderly. Each week during the lockdown, they called 91-year-old Nat for her shopping list and delivered the items to her door. Quote, I had to learn what's a stubby, spuds, picolettes, basically how to translate kiwi to American in order to get this right every week, Vega de Verona said. As soon as level two came into effect, the couple took Nat out for a drive to lift her spirits. Quote, she took us down some awesome beach roads, gave us a history lesson that spanned all the way through World War II and told us where every pub used to stand. After bringing her groceries and a pack of beer every week, that same day, I finally felt it was safe enough to take the mask off and to share a few beers with her at her own home and include her in our bubble. We got to cheer her up immensely, and she cheered the heck out of us. 
As the couple prepared to leave New Zealand, they called Nat for her last grocery order and made plans for one final beer together on Thursday. Quote, It's been truly a paradise, a safe haven, and an all-around blessing, Rivera said. The couple wanted to leave a message for others. Quote, I wish I could be drinking beer with my 91-year-old grandma, who's unfortunately no longer with me, Vega de Verona said. Quote, We would love it if we could hand over this torch to someone up for the task. Please reach out to the other elderly people in the community as well. I promise it will bring some life back to both yourself and those you serve. The couple shared their story on Facebook and received an overwhelming response from Kairakora locals who put their hands up to help Nat and others. York said she hoped to match, quote, granny groupies with elderly people in the district. Quote, the response to the Facebook post has been huge. It's good to see community spirit alive and well. Anyone in the Kairakora district who is keen to help can email joanna.york at kairakora.govt.nz. Now, I, I doubt anyone listening to this podcast is in the Kairakora area, but hey, on the off chance that you are, uh, please do. This is an amazing opportunity and one that is needed. Like, like um, wh- which one of the two said it? Uh, Vega de Verona said. I, this gives a fantastic opportunity for people to connect, for people to make relationships under the pretense of community, a necessary community. These elderly people need us. And in turn, if we are able and willing to support them and to help them, it is going to bring this new connection and this new relationship that would not have happened before. And it's going to be one that is going to last for a lifetime. I seriously doubt that this couple and Nat are going to lose connection. My guess is that they're going to continue to build that relationship and continue to build the community that surrounds both of them. And even though they're separate and they're far apart, Nat has become a part of their family. And I don't think that's ever going to change. In the same way, we now have an opportunity to do the same for others in need whether that is the elderly, or whether that's your neighbor. This is incredibly difficult times for everybody. And the more that you show up to support others, the more that they realize that they aren't going to be in this alone. And the same is going to happen to you. The more that you put into these relationships and these connections to make a difference in people's lives, no matter how small that is, you are going to be reminded just how connected we all are, and how beautiful those relationships are. Genuine care is going to birth genuine relationships. How you grow with others now, that is going to last a lifetime. 
So nurture it now, because now is the perfect opportunity to remind someone that they aren't alone. This final article is a fairly long one, but I think it's one that's really important because it highlights some very interesting and unexpected things that are happening in Japan. According to The Guardian, from near disaster to success story, how Japan has tackled coronavirus. A little over a month ago, health experts were saying Japan's risked becoming one of the world's coronavirus disaster zones. Its government was already facing criticism over its decision to quarantine passengers and crew from aboard the Diamond Princess cruise liner, and had been accused of underplaying the COVID-19 threat while it clung to the increasingly faint hope of hosting the Olympics this summer. Japan was testing too few people, critics said, opting instead to focus on clusters of cases rather than overburden its healthcare system with patients displaying no or only mild symptoms, who by law had to be admitted to the hospital. One of the world's richest countries, they said, was bungling its response. But today, Japan can make a strong case for being another coronavirus success story, albeit one that has failed to resonate globally in the same way as those in South Korea, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. So far, Japan, a country of 126 million people, with one of the biggest elderly populations in the world, has confirmed 16,000 infections and 784 deaths out of a global death toll of more than 300,000. In Tokyo, where almost 14 million people live, new cases have remained below 40 for more than a fortnight, with just five cases reported on two consecutive days this week. That compares with a peak of 206 new cases reported on the 17th of April. On Friday, the public broadcaster NHK reported just three new cases in the capital in the previous 24 hours. Achieving such low figures barely seemed possible in early April, when just as the number of cases began to rise sharply in Tokyo and in other major cities neighboring South Korea, with its widely praised regime of testing, tracing, and treating, was flattening the curve. On the 7th of April, the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe belatedly declared a state of emergency in the capital and other affected areas that was later expanded to include all 47 of the country's prefectures. But Japan's version of lockdown requests to avoid unnecessary outings, work from home, and observe social distancing came across as a timid response to a situation that risked spiraling out of control. The dispatch of two reusable masks to every household was met with derision, as people posted photographs on social media of the small and, in some cases, dirty Abana masks, a play on the leader's economic policy dubbed Abenomics. 
Abe's performance throughout the crisis has been uneven, according to Tobias Harris, an expert on Japanese politics at Tinio Consultancy. Quote, I think he has struggled to stay ahead of events since the beginning, has not communicated effectively, and has been poorly served by his lieutenants. Japan has skirted a coronavirus surge with room to spare. After new cases slowed markedly, when Abe, who does not have the legal prowess to declare a European-style lockdown, called on people to beat the virus by avoiding the three C's, confined and crowded spaces, and close human contact. The Abe administration has gained few political dividends for its response. Instead, most plaudits have gone to be to the quiet determination shown by the public, armed with the virus-challenging habits formed long before the pandemic. Masks are a common sight during the winter flu season and in spring among people with hay fever. The custom of bowing rather than shaking hands or hugging, generally high standards of personal hygiene, and the removal of shoes when entering homes have all been held up as possible explanations for Japan's low infection rate. Experts have pointed to universal health care, low obesity rates, and expertise in treating pneumonia. More fanciful theories have gained traction as well the consumption of foods such as NATO that boosts the immune system, and according to an unscientific experiment conducted by a TV network, the relatively low number of airborne droplets generated by spoken Japanese. Quote, I don't think the falling number of infections is due to government policies, said Ryuji Koike, the assistant director of Tokyo Medical and Dental University Hospital. Quote, I think it looks like Japan is doing well thanks to things that can't be measured, like daily habits and Japanese behavior. Personal habits and cultural traits, however, tell only part of the story. While Japan hesitated before imposing restrictions on overseas visita- uh, visitors, it was quick to recognize the dangers of mass gatherings. Museums, theaters, and theme parks and other attractions have been closed for months. Japan's professional football league suspended matches three weeks before before 150,000 people attended the four-day Sheltonham horse racing festival in Britain. Rugby and baseball leagues followed suit, delaying the start of their seasons, while sumo authorities decided to hold the recent spring tournament without spectators for the first time in the sport's history. Abe was criticized for calling for unnecessary school closures in early March, yet many other countries then did the same. Rob Fahey, a research associate at the Wasada Institute of Political Economy in Tokyo, believes declaring Japan's ability to contain the outbreak a mystery ignores the role of individual and collective action. Quote, Acknowledging this, however, requires looking beyond the usual set of policy actors and recognizing that Japan's response overall can still have been exemplary, even if the performance of its central government left much to be desired, Fahe wrote in the Tokyo Review this week. Japan's 
incremental exit from the state of emergency continues. Last week, Abe ended the measure in 39 prefectures, adding another three this week. Tokyo and four other prefectures could join them as early as Monday, according to media reports. But experts are warning against complacency, given that the low rates of testing may be distorting the extent of infections. A hazard recognized by the government's own experts, Shigeru Omi, who admitted that nobody knows whether the true number of coronavirus cases quote, could be 10 times, 12 times, or 20 times more than reported. As Tokyo's backstreet bars and restaurants started filling up again this week, with some staying open beyond the 8pm closing time requested by the city's governor, Abe sought to balance caution's optimism with a dose of post-pandemic reality. The weeks ahead would not mark a return to the days before the outbreak, he said, but the, quote, beginning of a challenge to create a new normal. So, I think, just as before, with the very first story, I think it's important to put the emphasis in this time not on the government's capability, regardless of how you feel about that said capability. I think the the important thing is to recognize the impact that we have as people people which collectively make a culture, which make nations. The way that this pandemic is going to cease is going to be by the power of individuals. As we can see with this, it doesn't really matter what the government really does. A governing body has no hold on solution or cause. Rather, it's the people that it governs that do. It's the people that are governed by any government that decide how well that nation thrives. How they live determines how their nation thrives. It doesn't matter really when or how nations open back up at this point. What matters is whether or not we create a culture of respect for the current circumstances, and of precaution to make sure that we put an end to this. The government could open everything back up to normal. Social isolation is declared unnecessary by them. But that doesn't inherently mean that everything goes back to normal, nor does it mean everything goes to crap. What that means is that we now have an opportunity as citizens to choose We can choose to be foolish, or we can choose to be wise with how we live, with how we go about our days. Are we going to put into the practice the same habits that led us to this situation, or are we going to be like Japan and adopt habits and put into practice habits that are going to allow us to sustain ourselves in the midst of a pandemic at our doorstep? Personally, I would hope for the latter. (laughs) But in order for either of those options to be chose willingly, we have to understand that that is our choice to make. It doesn't matter whether or not the government opens everything back up 
or whether or not they keep it shut down for another three months. What is going to make the difference is you and what you choose to do. How are you going to choose to live? And how are you going to let it impact the world for the best? That is wholly up to you. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have today. However, the good news is far from over. I just have a couple of articles that I would very much appreciate you checking out. According to CBS News, Teen raises over $30,000 for frontline workers through his radio station. That one is very personal to me. Not because that's me, but because that's something that I wish I did. Uh... According to CNN, a 10-year-old girl has sent more than 1,500 art kits to kids in foster care and homeless shelters during the coronavirus pandemic. According to the BBC, returning to the story of Captain Tom Moore, he has been awarded knighthood for NHS fundraising. According to CBS, New York's one-day coronavirus death toll drops down below 100 According to Business Insider, San Francisco Bay Area reports zero COVID-19 deaths in two days in a row for the first time since early March. According to Taiwan News, Taiwan goes 40 days without local coronavirus case. According to The Guardian, quote, we've never seen this. Wildlife thrives in closed U.S. national parks. And according to The Lancet, they actually have a briefing of a scientific report that's very promising of the first inhuman COVID-19 vaccine trial. If you want to look at that, I'd highly suggest that you check it out. Um, But if you're looking for different news that doesn't involve COVID, uh, it's graduation season. And there's some very, uh, very special graduates that are worth celebrating and, and highlighting. According to Forbes, the first degree, woman is first person with Down syndrome to graduate from Rowan University. And according to blacknews.com, 14-year-old from Chicago earns her master's degree. If you want to read that or any of the articles that I mentioned above, you can go ahead and check them all out in the links in the show notes. Um, There you will be able to read all of them. But if you would like to check out some of the other episodes that I have done or anything else that I do, you can go to joelseymour.com. That's J-O-E-L-S-E-Y-M-O-U-R, joelseymour.com. That's me. That's my website. And there you can contact me if you have good news that you want to uh, have on this show. Or you can just check out the other stuff that I do. Regardless, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a fantastic day and that you do some good.